Welcome to another edition of the Unicorns Podcast. This is a podcast series featuring business leaders, motivators, innovators, and general go-getters. Well, this week on the Unicorns, I'm joined by Dr. Anuj Gupta. He's a director and founder at COVAX Australia. COVAX Australia is a labour hire company that provides staffing solutions for a diverse range of sectors. He's one of two medical entrepreneurs who founded the company during the height of the pandemic, providing the Queensland government with pop-up testing clinics and strategic assistance in the national vaccine rollout. Fast forward to today and COVAX Australia has successfully pivoted out of pandemic response, keeping all 900 staff employed as they look to play a central role in fixing the looming aged care crisis. Anuj, welcome to the program. G'day mate, thanks for having us. It's an absolute pleasure. Tell me, where did the idea of COVAX Australia first come from? Mate, it was two blokes sitting down over a beer thinking we are faced with a pandemic and the country needs assistance and how can we uh-huh. help? And that's what led um, Manu, Carla and myself um, to put our heads together uh, with one of our mentors, Peter Cook, and come up with the idea of how we could best assist the nation. At that particular time... Um, when, when, when was that? Was that like sort of March or February or April 2020? When, when exactly was that? This was in March 2020, yes. I had just at that stage opened the first respiratory clinic in Brisbane, which was the fifth one in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, at which stage we had a one in six chance of dying if exposed to COVID-19. The international borders were still open. We still didn't quite understand the gravity of the situation we were um, faced with. Um, and most general practices around town were turning away patients who had cough, cold, flu-like symptoms. And I, along with my business partner at that stage, felt ethically that that was not reasonable as general practitioners to turn away patients. So we got a tent from Bunnings and we set it out in our uh, car park and uh, all we had on us was... <laughs> like the sausage some, sizzle out the front. And all we had on us was some gloves. We didn't even have masks. And uh, we got cracking to see patients and not turning them away. And that led on to the establishment of the first respiratory clinic, which we worked very closely with the federal government to establish the protocols and how it needed to be run. Because at that point of time, we didn't quite know how it needed to be um, managed. And uh, soon after that, in about April 2020, Manu and I got together. Manu had a background of running pathology labs and I had a background of running medical centers. And we sat down with our mentor, Peter Cook, and we said, well, the biggest challenge that our country is going to face is going to be testing people. Also, mm. it is going to be only a matter of time when there will be a vaccine on the horizon. At that point of time, there was no vaccine. And then we will need to immunize yes. our country. So how do we do that? And um, we started developing some strategies and policy of how that might happen, both at a federal and a state level. And we started talking to government uh, in Canberra 
um, the Department of Health, and we started talking to Queensland Health locally here in Brisbane. Um, mm -hmm. And um, before we knew it, we were talking to some of the largest uh, logistic providers in the country to develop a plan to distribute um, the vaccine throughout Australia. So when you actually set it up, and you obviously had to move very quickly because everything was moving quickly. Mm. Did you, and I mean this with all the greatest of respect, did you know what you were doing or was it a sense of, okay, we, you know, we know this little part and we'll just go with the rest because there was a lot of uncertainty and I think that's only fair. Well, the reality is we didn't know what we were doing the next day. Um, the uncertainty <laughs> was so uh, remarkable as it, the whole thing evolved it was difficult mm. to know what you were going to have to do that evening, whether you would be in lockdown or whether you... Um, and and our business model uh, evolved constantly. So initially we started off with discussions about the logistics of the delivery of the vaccine throughout the country, transportation. And, um, and then we started developing plans of running mass immunization clinics and had uh, very... Um, significant discussions both at the federal and the state levels and partnered with Queensland Health um, to implement that. We ran um, COVID-19 testing sites um, in terms of sample collection, whether they were pop-up drive-through testing, which we yes. were involved in um, establishing here in Queensland. And we we did them out of the universities, whether it was all the four major universities here in Brisbane, out of the airport, out of hotels. Um, and then uh, when Queensland Health required, we stood up our entire mass immunization clinic from start to finish and started staffing that, whether they required doctors, pharmacists, nurses, admin staff, cleaners, security guards, uh, the whole shebang. Uh, My goodness. And it was done fairly, everything was done very, very swiftly. How did you go about finding all the people to help you? It's interesting. You know, when um, when a task is at hand and when you don't say no, you just find means to do it. Um, on Christmas Eve, yeah, 2021, it seems like a millennia ago. Mm. <laughs> it was only a year ago. Almost a year ago. Yeah, Almost. about 7 p.m. we got a phone call from um, QH, from Queensland Health, through the government sources, where they basically said, look, guys, we know you can do it, but can you please assist with testing in the city? We've opened the Queensland borders, and there's people coming from interstate now, um, mm. and all the private pathology providers have gone on Christmas and New Year break, which they should, they deserve it. Of course. Uh, but uh, it's 7 p.m. on the 24th of December. Can you please start some uh, testing tomorrow? Uh, <laughs> and, uh, How were you when you got that phone call? And I looked at Manu and Manu looked at me and we said, all right, give us five minutes and we'll have an answer. And we basically called our team. And as expected, our team said, of course, we never say no. Mm. At 8 o'clock mm. the next morning, we had a tent and 15 staff ready to go to start testing at UQ. I, uh, it was a 39 degree day. Uh, it was very hot. And then within 48 hours, we set up another testing site at QUT. And, and within another 24 hours, we set up another testing site, drive-through testing sites at uh, 
at Bourne University uh, on the Gold Coast. Amazing. So you had that staffed and ready to go overnight, yeah, very quickly. We were doing about 5,000 sample collections every day for Pathology Queensland. So we were basically collecting the samples and giving them to Pathology Queensland to do whatever they needed to do with it. Um, but the main pivot was that it had to be done. And when we spoke to our staff and, we, and they recognised that there was no other option in the city, people had nowhere to go, Mm-hmm. is what the city required. Um, we were very fortunate that all our staff was very willing to work. So what does that whole experience then teach you about the ability to get things done? I think that's the that's the primary focus, uh, which I think a lot of companies need to reflect on coming out of this pandemic. Uh, the The ethos of the company, which is your team and your staff, um, the skill set that they have is trans, you know, you transpose, transposable. You can, it doesn't have to be that particular industry. You can mm. translate it to whichever industry you want to take it across. And that's what we saw because when the vaccine drive initially started, we had about 20 staff. By the time okay. the vaccine drive ended, we had about a thousand staff in our. Uh, company. At that stage, we were doing hotel quarantine, we were doing airport testing, we were doing um, Bunnings school immunization campaigns and the lot. So we were able to translate our skill set into whichever situation we had to adapt to. But Mm. when that drive ended, we pivoted and we thought, all right, we're are where is the next problem in the country? Mm. We recognised that there was an acute staff shortage um, in HK. We recognised that there was acute sh- staff shortage in hospitality. We recognised that there was requirement um, to assist the local hospitals um, and uh, the stadiums and the convention centres, and um, and we just started channelising our team skill sets to to look after uh, those different industries and it worked so w- tell me where where do all the staff come from where do you find them how do you how do you get them obviously that's that's the skill but you know you read everywhere you're hearing things about labor shortages and yet you know you've you've found mm. a, a mobile workforce of a thousand people very quickly I'd like to know what your secret source is. And it's growing. Uh, we have this magic dust that uh, we got from Asterix and Obelix, and we just sprinkle it every day. And out come 50 <laughs> people, and they get employed every day. <laughs> so we've, got, <laughs> we've got a very, very hardworking team um, that, that is engaged in marketing and recruitment and compliance because it's not just about finding people, but it is finding people that have the right skill set and are compliant to do the job. And that is, a, that is a task in itself. Because remember, while we were going through this pandemic, the borders were closed and you were limited to the people in that geographical area. You couldn't get people from Sydney or Melbourne to come up and work in Brisbane. 
and vice versa. Mm. That's right. You forget about that. Everyone was locked in. That's and right. So you and and not even, lockdowns, closures. You couldn't even get people from Toowoomba to come to Brisbane. You know, so you were kind of limited mm. to that city. But we we there was a lot of people who were out of work, um, and we we made sure that we provided to these people. A lot of the restaurants were closed, and international students were out of work. So we pivoted and and made sure that they were looked after. A lot of the airport staff had no nothing to do um, because the airports weren't running. The airline staff was laid off. So we, mm. we got a lot of people from Qantas and Virgin. We got a lot of people from Brisbane Airport, from Gold Coast Airport. These were very skilled people who were... Uh, Everyone was out of work. No one was working. To run yes. the entire airport. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, asking them to run an immunization clinic is not a big deal compared to, you know, running an entire airport. So um, we were able to lean into the airport authority, into the local universities, into the various forums on um, social media and, uh, mm-hmm. and essentially uh, make sure that people were paid adequately, that they were paid for the work that they were doing. And and so who who was paying who was paying you so you could pay the workers? Uh, whichever industry we worked with, whether that was um, uh, state government or whether that was uh, the hospitality industry in terms of hotels, um, or, yes. or whether that was um, uh, you know theme parks, etc. So whoever engaged us um, was uh, basically paying for the service. I'd be keen, Anoush, to hear your observations mm. on the role of government mm. during the crisis because no, no matter whether it was Labor, Liberal, Federal government, state governments, local governments, like everyone was criticised. Mm. No one was immune from, you know, you shouldn't be doing it that way. Everyone was an expert. So you were on the front mm. line of mm. this how, what was your experience like in dealing with, with government at different levels and trying to burst through the, the, the red tape that would ordinarily take a very long time? It was a difficult time. It wasn't an easy process. Um, government, uh, state or federal, have, uh, they have long-standing policies and processes in place. Now, you're faced with a pandemic where you're trying to adapt and respond uh, every minute and you have this legacy of processes that has to marry that. It's very difficult. (laughs) I don't envy envy the position of any of our administrators. Can we sit back and... um, and reflect on it and say the things should could have been done better yes uh, is that human nature to be able to to reflect back and say things can be done better yes should we learn from that for the time to come i think that's more important uh, or mm-hmm. how did we perform in during the pandemic well i think we didn't die there was not as many people who died in australia compared to the rest of the world the burden of disease was still quite controlled pre-vaccination and then post-vaccination when we opened everything up, then everybody got it. But that was a planned process. Um, So I think at the end of the day, the morbidity and mortality of our country compared to what it could have become 
um, was very well managed. As far as the government response goes, I think, yes, I did not, in hindsight, like that 7 p.m. call for an 8 a.m. Christmas Day start. Uh, <laughs> when that could have been planned. Yes. Uh, you know, we knew that mm. the power pathologies were going to be closed. We still opened our borders, expecting people to have a day five test when there was nowhere to do it. So there were things mm. that could have been done better. But, um, but you know, uh, and, and, and the reality is that even now we are seeing there were so many good companies that came into existence during the pandemic. So people which so many people have done some really great work for our nation. And it's really sad to see a lot of these businesses closing, a lot of these businesses not being able to, to sustain uh, because they were only responding to the task at hand. What mm. bothers me there is that if tomorrow we are faced with a similar situation, a lot of these companies will be required again but it takes, again, time to stand up and organize compared to somebody who is already um, in circulation and has grown even stronger uh, when the next uh, insult arrives. And so tell me about the move into aged care. You obviously identified that early on as uh, a pinch point uh, where help was needed, but how then once the the mass rollout of the vaccination program concluded, how did you then transition into aged care? I think it was quite established by that time that we were uh, seasonal. Sorry, we were seasoned uh, operators uh, that have delivered, uh, and our workforce capability by that time was quite um, known both at the state and the federal level. Um, we reached out to both um, the state and federal health and said, look, we've got all these people. We don't want them to lose an in, lose wage and employment. The pandemic is still not over. We still don't know how this is going to look. And this is in April this year. We don't mm. know how this is going to go. If we lose all these people uh, in six months' time, if you need us again, we will not be able to help you because it will become very difficult to find all our staff back again. Um, and at that point of time, it was quite nice that the federal health uh, said, look, there is this obvious issue in aged care, and if you can assist in that, that would be good. Um, so we started contacting uh, all the aged care facilities in our area, um, that was in April this year. And by now, in November, we have serviced uh, close to 200 aged care facilities in Queensland, New South Wales, Victoria, um, in supplying staff um, on an ongoing basis. And currently, our business is no longer dependent on the pandemic. All our staff mm. placements are... Um, are non-COVID related. So what sort of um, what sort of work are they doing? Uh, you know, we've got cleaners, we've got security guards, we've got nurses, we've got admin staff, we've got hospitality staff, we've got chefs, we've got, mate, what do you need? We'll get it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You name it, we can fill it. We haven't hired pilots yet. I think we should look into that. 
Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and so we've talked about we've talked about the aged care sector. Have you filled all the roles, or are you now you know you're still needing to get staff in from across Australia and overseas to help um, help plug any holes across across Australia? Look, it's a very uh, dynamic situation, and it's a very complex one as well. Um, what the last two, three years of COVID has done is has uh, limited immigration, uh, has limited international student intake, has limited movement of people across the globe. Um, for a country that is dependent to a certain degree uh, for skill set migration, um, the, the two or three years can uh, can add up very quickly uh, into a very large number. And currently we face this situation where we just don't have enough people locally to satisfy um, the roles that exist in the country. So mm. We will have to train more people locally and encourage people to take on courses at TAFE and encourage people to take on university degrees uh, to, to, to produce local talent. Uh, but we will have to look at overseas as well, uh, which is very difficult um, because uh, the market uh, of talent overseas um, is a very competitive market when you look at other countries that are facing the same issues globally, albeit that uh, Canada, the UK, or, or, yeah. you know, or, or other places in Europe because they have had the same issues that we have had. And, um, and you're looking at the same subset of people that have to now consider where they want to immigrate. And I think that is where the government policy becomes very important to ensure that the right industry sectors in our country are catered to. And we have the right policy in place uh, to be able to attract talent from across the world. How many how many spots do we need to fill? I think the estimates that we have been um, talking about is about 180,000 aged care or healthcare workers in the next two years. Mm. That's a lot. It's too many. Well, the problem is that, um, you know, it's... We're all getting older. We're living longer. You know, we've got all our granddads and grandmas in... Um, in aged care and the last thing we want is to not have these positions available because there's no staff or have residents and them not being looked after adequately because there's no staff so there is a whole uh, complex issue at hand and the same thing goes mm. to you know healthcare workers whether that is in metropolitan hospitals or regional hospitals or remote yes uh, uh, facilities under state health um you know, there's quite a lot of services that are seizing uh, operations in regional Australia just because we don't have adequate staffing, whether that is maternity facilities, whether that is uh, emergency facilities, etc. And you do tend to find a little bit of argy-bargy between the Commonwealth and the states, again, no matter who's in power, no matter which party, because mm. aged care is federally run, um, but obviously mm. these aged care centres are based in the States. Mm. Everyone blames each other. Mm. <laughs> Have you encountered any of that? 
Oh, mate, it's, uh, it's, it's an ongoing saga, but uh, considering now that most of the states have Labor in power and we yes. have government federally as well, I would hope that you, we can have uh, sensible discourse between both the agencies to find hmm. common goals and outcomes which essentially help the country. Sensible discourse. I like it. I wonder if it's common sense, though. <laughs> um, <laughs> now, what about other sectors, Anuj? Um, what, obviously, outside of aged mm. care, are there any other sectors mm. where COVAX is providing staff and helping? We are uh, very heavily involved in events and hospitality, but okay. um, whether that is the uh, Sydney Olympic Park or whether that is... Um, uh, convention center in Melbourne, etc., um, which we are looking into. But um, we have been recently approached by the mining industry to see if we can assist. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is something that we need to consider now. Um, and, and what would that be? To do, to do what exactly? A range of jobs? A range jobs. of jobs, yeah. Uh, uh, the, it's not technical labor. It's more of uh, uh, cleaner... Catering, cleaning, driving uh, vehicles, uh, etc. We're not talking about metallurgical engineers or chemists. Yes, but things. <laughs> You're not underground drilling. People that, no. people that actually run companies in the country. You know, uh, the, mm. the 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 workforce that we rely on to make things happen. Um, there has also been a lot of noise that we've recently been contacted by the childcare industry. That is a very difficult skill set to provide because of the um, uh, translational skill set. It, 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 it's, it's difficult. So, But that is also a very big crisis in our country, which is childcare um, and childcare providers. So do you, th- do you think the government should be doing more to support some of the businesses that have, that have popped up? out of the pandemic can you offer a view on that look i think there is a bit that can be done um and there is enough opportunity that exists in the country um and businesses that are going under perhaps offering them forums for collaboration with the government sectors as well uh to see how that skill set can be utilized uh is prudent um Roundtable discussions are easy to organize, and I think it is quite easy to ensure that the projects that need to be need to be done at a council, state, federal level um, can have local businesses participate in um, because there's enough work. It's just making sure that people get to know about it. Dr. Anuj Gupta, co-founder of COVAX Australia. Congratulations on a fantastic company that you have created with your other directors. We wish you all the very best in the future and thank you for coming on to the podcast today. Thanks, man. I appreciate having us here.